Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture with Sheree Sims on the Black Love Podcast Network. As always, I'm going to start with the peak and pit of my day. The peak of my day was that Miss Nisha came back today. For all of you that don't know, Miss Nisha is my work wife and my slash life wife. Yes, I have a husband. um, But if you guys like are people and women especially, you know that you also need a wife wife. Like you can have a husband, but you need a wife because they support you a little bit more in the things that you need to get done. So Miss Nisha started out as one of my teachers at my school and she has become one of the loves of my life. And she went on vacation, but she came back today. So that was the peak of my day seeing her seeing the children see her and give her hugs. Um, And the pit of my day was that my husband loaned out his car. (laughs) Y'all, my husband always does this. He does things where like he makes a decision for him, but it affects me and he forgets how it'll affect me. So he loaned out his car to somebody, which means that we're down to one car and both of us have places to be in different places. So trying to coordinate schedules and get to all the various places we need to be with one car was the pit of my day. And currently I'm here at our library recording the podcast with no way home, but I trust that I'll get home. And actually maybe that'll turn into the peak of my day because I can quote, not find a way home unquote and get an extended break from the house and the children. So that's the peak and pit for me. Today, I have a question from one of our friends on Instagram. This is actually a friend of mine, but I'm not going to say her name. I will keep her anonymity. Ooh, y'all, did you hear how I said that word really well the first time I tried it? Try to say that word three times fast. So the question from her is, do you have any tips or direction on how to deal with a child who has been spoiled to deal with trauma? I don't want to be upset about how she cries and yells when she doesn't get her way. I keep encouraging her to communicate and talk to me, but she cries, throws tantrums, and shuts down. I don't want to come across as mean, but I'm in over my head. She's been taught to be hella manipulative, and everyone just gives in to her, and I know that this isn't the way to do it either. This is actually the question of somebody who takes care of her niece. So, I want to just have that perspective that this is someone who takes care of her niece and there are multiple family members that are involved in raising this child. The child has been through different traumas. More recently, she witnessed a trauma on Monday. I don't know all the details. If I did, I probably wouldn't share them anyways unless I had permission to share them. But she has witnessed a traumatic event and she's been through traumatic events in her life. So as I understand the question, the child has learned to use tantrums and crying and screaming and shutting down as tools to get her needs met. And we'll start there because that's really how I want to reword this is that I don't hear this question and see a child that is trying to be manipulated. I think that all children, when it comes to behavior, even adults, when it comes to our behavior, the things we do, the choices we make, we are all trying to get needs met. Sometimes the need is a need for play, a need for connection, a need to be seen or heard. Sometimes it's just a need for a cup of water, right? (laughs) But whatever the need is, we first request it or demand it. And if we don't get it, then we usually have a feeling. And so we respond to this feeling and we're trying to get our need met. So number one, I want to say that I would reframe how you're even looking at the situation to say she's not trying to manipulate me. She is using the tools that she has to try to get her need met. 
Then I would try to assess the situation to try to understand what her needs are. Now, before I even go into that, I do want to talk a little bit about the fact that this baby has been through trauma. And most likely, all of our children have been through some kind of trauma, right? My son just recently fell off a playground at a park and broke his arm. Technically, that's trauma. He went through a traumatic experience. Obviously, some traumas are worse than others. But when our children go through traumas, especially emotionally, psychologically, physically, we do want to have compassion for that. And if you've listened to previous episodes, and if you haven't, go back and listen to them. But we have talked a little bit about the difference between like the body, the brain, and the person. So when we have these children, these beginning years with our children are really, we're really dealing a lot with the body and the brain. Like we look at children and we think we're dealing with these whole personalities. We get the essence of who they are and their personalities, and hopefully we start to see their strengths and their gifts and their sense of humor, but we are dealing a lot with the body and the brain. And side note, this might be my ADHD kicking in and talking up, but I I think it's really interesting information. So elephants are actually pregnant for 22 months, right? They are the mammals that are pregnant for longer than any other species on this earth. They're pregnant for 22 months. But when they give birth, they give birth to a whole walking elephant. Their elephants come out very mature, start walking as soon as they're born. Why do I share that? in part because of the size of the animal, right? Because the animal is bigger, because it stands on four legs, it has much more space to be able to house and hold a baby for 22 months so that baby can mature inside the womb. Humans who stand up on two feet, we have less space to hold our babies in for a long amount of time. So the longest we can hold our children in and be pregnant with them is nine months, and then we give birth to them. This is why our children come out, they don't walk, they don't talk, you know, they don't do any of those things. We are actually the most of the most immature species to be born. Why do I share this? Because a lot of times we look at children who have been here two, three, four years, and we have these super high expectations of them. But I want to share that, like, we come into this earth premature. We come into this earth needing a lot of development, physically, mentally, cognitively, emotionally, All of these things that happen outside of the womb, they take lots of time. So even though your child has been here three, four, five years, they are not by any means a mature being. They are still doing so much development. That's why we always talk about the first five years. They're so important because their brains are growing more than they would in any other period of their life. I mean, just take a moment to think about that alone. Think about the fact that in these first five years, their brains are growing more than any other period in their life. There is so much happening inside of their bodies. And so often, like, we can have some type of compassion and recognition for pregnant women, right? We'll see a pregnant woman who says, man, I didn't do anything today. I just laid on the couch and everybody will say, girl, you're making a whole baby. Like you're growing bones today. You're growing a brain today. You're growing, you just grew nails today. You don't have to do anything else. If all you did was sit there, you did so much today. We understand that with pregnant women, that inside of their bodies, they're doing so much, creating a whole being, bones and muscles and legs and limbs and fingernails and eyes, like all this stuff, right? So we have respect for it. But it's the same thing with our children. Our young children who are infants, toddlers, preschoolers, like inside of their bodies, what we can't see, their bodies are doing so much. 
And when you add extra external things to the mix, it makes it very hard for them. Now, when you add trauma to the mix, it makes it even harder because a basic developmental stage that they're trying to reach, maybe that's regulation, right? They don't get their way. Now they're dysregulated. You're trying to get them regulated so that they can just ask for what they want. It seems simple to us, but we're dealing with their body. We're dealing with their body and their brain, which inside is doing so much in that moment that asking them to do anything else on top of what their bodies are already doing in that moment can be very, very difficult. And again, you add trauma to that moment, you're adding so much. And y'all, I did an amazing episode with um, Kobe Campbell on trauma. She's a trauma therapist. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. She gives us a lot of information on trauma, how to deal with it, tips and tools. So back to our trauma baby, and I don't say that insensitively. When we're dealing with her, we do want to have compassion. We want to have compassion for the fact that she has been through a lot. Her body is going through a lot. She has a need that she's trying to meet, and her need was not met. And the only tools she knows and she has are screaming, kicking, yelling, whatever else. So this is one of those situations where I often hear like, but I keep encouraging them to use their words. That's fantastic. Encourage them to use their words. My question to you is, what does that look like when you encourage them to use their words? A lot of times when I see people say, I'm encouraging them to use their words, I just hear them say, use your words, right? That's like how we respond. We see them. We know we've given them the words at one point in time and we're like, use your words, use your words. It can be very, very, very hard to find the words in the moment of upset because you are, again, dealing with we've got to regulate the brain and the body and we're asking them to do something. As moms, as dads, as caregivers who are listening, I know y'all understand because I know you've had that moment where you're in the kitchen, you're making dinner, you're on a phone call or a Zoom meeting while you're making dinner and you just switched a load out of the laundry and you're checking the fridge to see what you need because you're also ordering groceries online and you have your computer open because you also got to respond to emails and then your child comes over and is like, mommy, 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 or poppy, 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 look at this, look at this, or come here, or I need this. Or you have two children and they're both calling you at the same time. You get stressed, you get overwhelmed. You're like, I can't deal with that right now. I can't answer you right now. I'm already doing 10 things. That is the same way that it feels for a child. They are already doing 10 things. So when we say a simple, use your words, that can be so difficult for them to go in and find those words to use them. So one thing I would say is to always like keep giving them the words. Every time they're upset, rather than just telling them, use your words, you can say, are you asking for a cup of water right now? Are you upset because you wanted to watch the TV for longer and it's time to turn the TV off? This is one, giving them the words to use. It's two, validating and connecting with their feelings. When you're asking them, are you upset? I noticed that you're upset. Are you upset because it's time to turn off the TV? One, we're validating them. We're not saying it's okay that you're kicking and screaming. We are saying, I understand that you're upset. It's time to turn off the TV. That makes sense that you would be upset when it's time to turn off the TV. What we can't do is kick. We got to keep our bodies safe. What we can do is figure out the next time we can watch TV. When we validate children, we can hold the boundaries. We can still turn off the TV. We can still say no to whatever they're upset about. And we can empathize and understand that it doesn't feel good to be upset. It doesn't feel good to not get your way. 
it doesn't feel good to have someone else call the shots on what you're doing, how long you get to do it, these various things that happen usually in a caregiver-child relationship. Uh, same way that us as adults need money to go put gas in our car <laughs> and gas is going up ridiculously. Uh, if um, there's a gas company that wants to sponsor this podcast, I'm here for it. Go ahead and send me a $500 gas card to get me through a month. Uh, but anyways, if we go to the gas station and we put gas in our car, it's going to cost me. I got a 12 passenger van. It's going to cost me $100 to put gas in my car. I'm going to drive that baby for one week. In one week, that gas light is coming on and telling me to put more gas in my car. This is that like mom or parent being like, use your words, right? The gas light is like, hey, go put gas in. Use your words. If I go to the gas station and I have $0 left, I can understand that I need to put gas in my car to go anywhere else. But if I don't have it, I cannot put more gas in my car. So sometimes this whole use your words and these different things where we're like, I gave you tools, use them. When our children are still so immature, and I don't mean that in a negative, oh, you're immature sense, but like literally, physically, cognitively immature, we have to keep refilling their tank. We have to keep refilling them with the words that we want to use. We have to keep refilling them with the tools that we want them to use. We have to keep refilling them with the techniques to help them regulate. And again, one of the best times to do this is outside of the moment. If my gas tank hits zero and I'm in front of my house, I'm screwed. I can no longer drive my car to the gas station to get gas. I needed to fill my tank when I still had gas in my tank to get me to the gas station. The same is with our children. We don't want to wait until they are on empty to refill them with the tools. We don't want to wait till the breakdown and the tantrum and the yelling. When they are happy, when it is a time that you guys are sitting and playing games or reading a book, that's when you want to refill them with the tools. That's when you want to give them the words, whether you're playing a game and you pretend like one of the characters or dolls in the games gets upset. That's when you can use that moment to give them the words. When you are getting ready for bed, maybe you guys want to use those moments to do some breathing techniques for regulation. That's when you want to give them the tools so that in the moment you can say, let's take our breaths that we've practiced. And then you take your breaths and you start to regulate the body. Then you connect with them. I see that you're really upset right now. Are you wanting fill in the blank? Give them the words. Are you needing fill in the blank? Give them the words. Are you asking for fill in the blank? Give them the words. I know that this works because with my now four-year-old, I cannot believe I have a four-year-old. That's the baby. Anyways, with my now four-year-old, there are a lot of times she's four. <laughs> so daily she comes to me crying and whining about things. And sometimes it's just that she wants milk. Like she'll be hot and she wants a cup of milk. Like she comes in whining, which is strange to me because I'm like, why are you already whining? I didn't even say no, right? This is like my adult mom brain minus anything that I know about children. I'm like, why are we already whining? I didn't even say no, we can go get milk. What's the problem? But for her, again, this is the body. Like for her, she's already coming to me when she's already thirsty. She's already tired. She's already hot because it's summertime. So for her, it's not just as simple as like, oh, I want a cup of milk. But with her, I can just say, 
Matilda, I don't understand what you're saying. I can't hear you when you use that voice. Can you use your powerful voice? And this is a way that I am able to not shame her. I'm not, a, I'm not condemning her, but I'm actually empowering her. Use your powerful voice. And she will sit there and she will take a deep breath in through her nose, out through her mouth, because she has learned outside of the moments, this is how she calms her body down. And then she'll look at me again and she'll say, mommy, may I please have a glass of milk? So I know that these tools work because I've seen it with my own children. I've seen it with the children in my school, that when you give them the tools on repeat, on a daily basis, practice them when you're happy, when you're mad, when you're sad, practice them, give it to them on repeat. They have them in their tool bag to be able to access them and they understand how it works. So to kind of recap, we're going to, one, have compassion, right? Our babies are literally immature. They're immature beings going through a lot. We want to have compassion for them. Two, we want to connect with them and validate their feelings. Connect with them by letting them feel seen and heard. I see that you're feeling X. I understand how that makes you sad or mad. Could you be needing X, Y, Z? So that's connecting, validating, and then you can give them the request. Can you turn that into a request? May I please have a cup of milk? So we're walking them through, we're holding their hand through these situations. Now, another part I wanna talk about is the fact that this question came from an auntie. And this can be very challenging, but I think a lot of us kind of understand this. And I actually get a lot of questions from siblings, aunts, uncles, caregivers that are not the primary parents, but who are in some way involved in the child's upbringing and they're struggling not only with the child, but also with these differences in how people are raising the child. And I vibe with this because I go through this also. Y'all, I'm here giving my parenting advice and I've studied early childhood development, but my husband did not. And he has different beliefs and different philosophy with children. And he and I sometimes come to a head doing different things. So I don't say that to put him on blast or to put me on blast. I say that to say I truly understand the struggle of having two different theories, philosophies, and practices when it comes to children. What I will say is that I have observed that when you are consistent with how you connect with the child, when you are consistent with the boundaries that you draw between you and the child or for the child, however you want to word that, when you are consistent with what things look like, the child is going to learn how to act. I'm putting quotation fingers around that. But the child is going to learn how to behave around you. They're going to learn what is acceptable, what works for you. And that's actually even a line that I find myself saying a lot, like that doesn't work for me. If my child kicks something, I'll say that doesn't work for me. I see that you're really upset right now. And I get that you're upset because you really wanted to watch more TV. But kicking my chair doesn't work for me. If you continue to kick the chair, I have to move your body because I need to keep you and everybody else safe. And then I'll move into when can we watch TV again? If that's like what I want to go with next or what are your options now? We can read a book. We can take a bath, whatever it is. But children will, when you are consistent, they will recognize what is acceptable, what is okay, how to react and respond and interact with you versus everybody else. So this idea that like, Everybody else is doing something and I'm trying to do this one thing. The reason that's hard is because of the amount of time that you spend with them. Obviously, if they're spending time with the primary parent seven days a week and they maybe see you once or twice or three days a week, it's going to be harder because they spend more time with someone else 
and now they're coming to you and it's almost like you got to do a reset. But this comes to that connection aspect. Connection equals cooperation. And the more strongly you're connected to the child, regardless of whether you're the sibling, the auntie, the caregiver, grandparent, or the parent, the more that you are connected to your child, and by connection, I mean relationship. How often are you guys having fun together? Not just how often are you doing the tasks, you know, not just how often are you feeding them, how often are you bathing them, not that. That's not connection, that's care. They know who to go to and who's gonna make sure that they're healthy and okay. But how often are you actually sitting down and reading a book with them? How often are you finding out what they like to do? Do they like to play dolls? Do they like to take a walk? Do they like to do puzzles? Do they like to draw? How often are you finding the things that they like to do and then connecting with them in their joys, in what they like to do and spending that time where you guys really have that relationship? All of us have connection to different people in different ways and we can all identify it. You know, I grew up with my mom and my brother And my brother was the one who always took me to all of my swim lessons and all of my games. And I remember that we used to always, we'd have to walk there because my brother didn't drive. My brother's 11 years older than me, but he didn't drive at the time. So we would walk to where my swim lessons were and they were kind of far and I would get tired. (laughs) Like my little legs couldn't really make it all that way. And there was a huge hill that we had to walk up to get there. So I remember that we would stop at the grocery store. This was before they put the locks on the little carts at the grocery store. They probably put them on because of me and my brother. But we would go to the grocery store. We would pick up a cart. My brother would put me in the cart and he would push me to my swim lessons. And then we we would come back. I remember he would like let the cart go down the hill and he would race me down the hill and catch me at the bottom. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I had the time of my life. And I just had so much fun with my big brother. And why do I share this? Because those are the memories that I have when it comes to connecting to my brother. That's what I remember when I remember having a fun childhood, when I remember feeling loved and cared for. It was in these moments in a shopping cart on a way to a swim lesson, not in the fact that he later got his license and drove me to school, not in the fact that he made me dinner. And I remember those times as well. But those are things that as a child, you can't do it for yourself. Somebody has to, right? We don't connect with the person in the same way as someone who actually invests time and energy into us in a way that makes us feel wanted and loved and valuable and cool. You know, like make your child feel cooler, the child that you're taking care of. So the more that you connect with the child, the more cooperation you're going to get from them. So even if you have limited time with them, if you're the older sibling, the auntie, whatever it is, even if you have limited time with them, use that time very well to connect with them and to build those grocery cart memories with them because you're going to end up being their go-to person. So through the trauma that they're going through, through these behavioral issues, they're going to want to cooperate with you and they're going to listen to how you want to support them. So like I said, connection equals cooperation. That's definitely something that you want to do with them. And then in terms of these other people that are involved, I know that there can be this feeling of like, how do I get them on board? How do I tell them the right way? Y'all, you you can't tell people how to parent their children. (laughs) I know you want to. I know you think you have a better way. 
I know I'm up here trying to tell y'all, but but y'all turn on my podcast by choice. So you are here to get what I have to share. I'm not forcing it on you. I'm not walking into your home, putting on my podcast, telling you how to parent your children. You can't do that. If someone does not ask you for support or advice in raising their children, it is one of the most sensitive things. I promise you that as poorly as they're doing it, they're doing it the best that they can. So all you can do is love the child, connect with the child. You can learn, continue to learn tips and tools and bring them into your relationship with the child. You can spend time around the child and the parent and kind of model these things that you're learning, model these things that work because then the parent or whoever else is around can look and be like, wow, that really worked. How did you do that? That opens the door for you to explain how it works and what you know and give them more tips, tools, strategies, however that is. If they solicit your advice, by all means, give it to them, but you can't just dump it on them. If they follow you on social media, follow me, follow Destiny Ann, follow They Call Me Mama Bennett. These are all my parenting people that I love on Instagram. Follow Mr. Chaz and share our stuff, right? Share the reels that you see that are impactful. Share the stories, but share it to your story. Don't tag them. Don't be passive aggressive. Don't send it to them in their inbox unless that's something you already do. Like I have some girlfriends that send me stuff every day. So if they sent me something, I'm, I'm not feeling attacked. I just know that's what we do. So if that's what you already do and that's your relationship, share with each other. If it's not, share it to your stories so that hopefully they see it. Hopefully they can get it. You're kind of just planting seeds. And if you are a partner in raising someone, you know, I always suggest that people take different parenting workshops, courses together. I've had husband and wives come into my various parenting courses together. Some, it was court mandated. Some chose to take it together. And they literally leave saying things like, this saved my marriage because now they're on the same page. Um, but in terms of this case with this woman's niece and people raising them differently. Another thing I would say and the last thing I would say for today is to check in with the parents. If the baby has experienced trauma, most likely the parents have experienced trauma as well. And I can definitely understand the feeling of giving into your child and giving them anything when you have the guilt of the fact that your child has experienced trauma. As a parent, you feel like it's your job to protect them against so many things, especially trauma. And when you're unable to do that, and I don't think if, if your child has gone through a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events, I by no means think that it is someone's fault. I think that these things happen and we do the best that we can to protect our children and they can still happen anyways. But I definitely understand that feeling of like, my baby's been traumatized. They can have whatever they want. They can yell because they're going through it. They can have whatever they want. I'm going to give it to them. So in that case, you know, most likely the parent has also gone through their own share of trauma. I would ask the parent, how can I support you? Thanks for letting me spend time with my niece today. We had so much fun together. We did have, we did hit a couple of rocky moments. How do you address this at home? Here's what I did. That's another way you can slip in that, you know, trying to all work together on the same page, but also saying like, 
I really want to be able to support you guys more often. How can I best support you? How can I continue to support my niece? But coming at it at an angle of like, I'm here for you. I want to help you is going to help the relationship and not cause friction between the relationship of you trying to criticize someone, especially in the realm of like the most important job that they have, which is their parenting, right? That is not the place that they want to face criticism, especially from someone that they trust with their child. So to my friend on Instagram who sent me that question, I hope this answer helps. To do a quick recap, I want to remind you that we are dealing with the brain and the body before we are dealing with the behavior. We are dealing with a child who is trying to get a need met using the tools that they have and they need more tools. We want to spend our time connecting with this child, giving them more tools, creating a safe space for them, and yes, giving them grace and compassion. That doesn't mean let them do whatever they want and let them use these negative tools as means for manipulation, but do have grace for them while giving them more tools. And invite people to learn with you. Invite the people around you to learn with you. Uh, Open up conversations with them. Ask them, how can I best support you? And otherwise, like, y'all kind of just stay in your lane. (laughs) Do what you can, but stay in your lane so that you can continue to be the safe space, being able to plant seeds into this child. So I hope that helped you. If you guys have any questions, send them to me on Instagram in my DMs, or you guys can fill out the Google form in the show notes uh, right here on the podcast, and I would be happy to answer your questions. So your homework for the week, by the way, is to come up with some kind of mantra to remind yourself that the child is doing the best that they can, right? And I want to hear your mantras. So my mantra might be, the child is not giving me a hard time, they are having a hard time. But I want to hear what your mantras are to remind yourself in these moments where you're triggered, feeling like they are manipulating you, feeling like they are doing this to you. I want to hear what your mantras are. So that's your homework. Come up with a mantra, send it to me on Instagram, share it to your stories, tag me, tag Black Love. Uh, I can't wait to hear them and maybe I'll share them on a future podcast. So that's it, y'all. I will talk to you all next week. Peace. Parenting for the Culture is executive produced by Cody and Tommy Oliver. Our senior producer is Crystal Hill. Art is by Koi Madison. Parenting for the Culture is a Black Love Podcast Network production. (laughs) 